couple of questions. Does that describe you? I, believe it or not, sometimes have been known to ask multiple questions right in a row, only to get a blank look from the person that I'm talking to, who either doesn't even know where to begin to answer all of the questions I've just asked, or didn't even think to ask any of the questions in the first place that I was looking for answers to. We won't name any names of the people who I'm talking about here, but maybe you are a questioner too. These last few weeks, there have been a lot of questions on my mind. For you, how are you? How are you doing? How are you holding up? What has been most difficult for you in this time? Has there been anything that has brought a little light or filled you with a little joy these past few weeks? For what do you want us to pray? And then, of course, there are the larger questions. When will this end? When will the numbers get better? When will there be a vaccine for COVID-19? Then this weekend, there are the questions that have been asked by so many families of men and women who have served this country over the years. What will their duty entail? Where will they be sent? Will they come home? Questions that can fill us with fear and anxiety. Maybe questioning is a part of our DNA. To question, to try to understand, to try to be able to control something, to try to bring order to the things of our lives to return to what we know and how things once used to be. When I was growing up, I remember one time the buzz of questions that happened within our congregation after the ordination of one of uh, the women who had grown up in our congregation, went off to seminary, and was finally able to come home and celebrate that she was becoming a pastor. And if you've never been a part of an ordination service before, you have to go sometime. They're so much fun because the person being ordained is surrounded by the people that love them, their congregations that love them, the people that they've met along the way that have shaped them. And it's a worship service filled with so many incredible people so much rich music, and after the sermon, which of course is like wonderful, and after the hymn of the day, there comes that point where the bishop or the representative from the synod asks all of these questions of the person, of all of the things that they are going to promise to do for Christ's church. And then after that, after everyone claps in joy for this person becoming a pastor, the person gets to be able to celebrate communion, gets to be able to share communion with the people that are gathered that day. And it was a wonderful day. And the person had two nieces and a nephew that were serving as acolytes as a part of the service. And of course, you would want them to be able to partake in this special meal that Christ gives to us. Only one little problem. None of them were in the fifth grade. 
which at that time meant that they had not gone through first command communion instruction at our church, which means that they were not eligible to receive the communion meal. But the person becoming ordained had a conversation with the parents and with our pastors, and there was a little instruction of what this communion meal is all about that happened. So come the day of her ordination, they too were welcomed at Christ's table. But then what do you do after the ordination? As these kids come forward every week in worship. And so they began starting to take communion every week. And then that was when the buzz of questions began. As people started to notice that these young children were reaching out their hands to receive this bread and this cup. And so our congregation had to have a couple of forums about what communion was all about, about what all of the various Christian traditions believed about communion, about what the rules were, about what we had been taught, about what we think communion really is. And I remember so clearly one comment that was made that went something like this. Young children can't possibly understand how special this communion meal is. Now likely that comment came from someone who hadn't come to the table until they had their first communion at the time of their confirmation in the eighth grade, as was the tradition once upon a time. And so, after a number of forums, as we sat around and talked and discussed together, I realized that in all that Jesus said, all that he said was that every time we eat and drink this meal, we are to remember, we are to remember him. The other takeaway that I had from all those discussions was that how can any of us really ever fully understand the gift of this sacred meal? How can we begin to figure out with any certainty how it is that Christ is in fact truly present in the meal? Is it that he's in with and under the bread and wine, like Luther would tell us? Or is it that somehow the, the bread and the wine actually physically turn into, are transformed into the body and blood of Jesus? Or are these elements merely symbols of Christ's love? Christians can't even figure it out themselves. And who really knows, except for Jesus himself, but somehow... Somehow Jesus is present, really and truly and fully, every time Christians share this meal together. And it is a gift for us to simply receive. Now I have to be honest, if you haven't guessed this by now, I'm a little traditional when it comes to certain things. And I might have even been one to have a little reservation about breaking the rules, especially when it comes to communion. But this time that we're living in, 
Well, it has challenged me in more ways than one. And one of the ways that it has challenged me has been with communion. On the one hand, it's so hard to even fathom not having communion when we can't be all together, when I can't physically put an enormous size of the body of Christ into your hand. It's unthinkable, unimaginable. And yet, on the other hand, I was struck one Sunday morning when I happened to see the Catholic Mass from the Basilica happening on the television. And what did they do? They celebrated the communion meal together, even when it was just the worship leaders present. And I realized that they knew how important this meal is and that they knew we need to remember Jesus and that however we remember however receive it that's what's most important maybe we need to hear the scripture again this day because it speaks to us in our reality there is a part of us that sometimes lets our minds take over with the questions that we ask, in wanting to understand it all, in the hows and the whens and the whys and all of that. And we miss seeing how Jesus constantly pulls us forward so that we can be focused on the promises he makes real. Jesus, in our scripture for today, pulls us away from looking back, looking back to how things used to be in the good old days. We can look back long enough to be able to give thanks for everything that was, everyone that shaped us, for this God who was, who was long before we were. But we can't stay there. We need Jesus to always keep us moving forward, to keep our eyes and our faces turned to being focused on the promise that always lies before us. Jesus never leaves us without hope, without promise, and without blessings. But maybe, We need to be able to see it in the moment that it exists in. Notice in our scripture passage that the disciples begin with a question to Jesus. Lord, is it the time when you will restore the kingdom? They want to return to the good old days. They want to return to that time in history when the northern and southern kingdom weren't split in two when they had their own king, anointed by God. They wanted to return to the days when they weren't ruled by the Romans, or the Persians, or the Babylonians, or the Assyrians. And Jesus responds by saying, it's not for them to know the times or the periods. We hear Jesus refer to a much larger perspective of time that has been set by the one who created all that lives and has breath. 
And then Jesus immediately pulls them forward and us along with them with this promise. You will receive the power of the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. And then even as we hear Jesus's ascension, which would certainly leave all of us doing the exact same thing that the disciples did, with their faces looking upward, probably their mouths hanging open. I'll save you from that picture right now. But you know we would be doing it right along with them. And then the messengers of God come before them, and then they ask the question, what are you doing with your eyes turned toward heaven? And the disciples are pulled into the future, are pulled forward with the promise that lies before them. And ironically, they return to the room that they had all been gathered together in these last 40 days. But notice that their questioning stops and they turn toward prayer. Perhaps they stop trying to understand it all. Perhaps they stop trying to be able to control it all and just work to trust Jesus' promise that they will be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that will lead them into a new future that has not quite been written that's going to look a little bit different from their past. But that will still be one that is filled with blessings. And most of all, Christ's very presence. But when? But how will we know when we have been filled with that power of the Holy Spirit? How? Oh, <laughs> right. I forgot. <laughs> Remember, receive, pray, amen.